Hello, and welcome to the Harvard Kennedy School PolicyCast. I'm your host, Matt Cadwallader, and you can follow us on Twitter at PolicyCast or subscribe by visiting hkspolicycast.org. Today, we're joined by HKS professor Alex Jones, who was awarded the Pulitzer Prize for his reporting on the media for the New York Times, and now serves as the director of the Kennedy School's Shorenstein Center on Media, Politics, and Public Policy. Professor, thanks for joining us. Matt, glad to be with you. So... Uh, we've now seen a few incidents this year where journalists have become kind of the center of the story. The most prominent examples are James Foley and Stephen Sotloff, who were executed by ISIS in Syria. Um, but there have been other examples. Uh, in Ferguson, Wesley Lowry of the Washington Post uh, was arrested and became very much a part of the story of the Ferguson protests. Um, it seems like there are are a lot of these types of incidents happening all around the world. Is it a perception of you know mine and others that the environment for journalists is becoming more difficult, or is that actually, in fact, the case? I think it is the case. I think it's because there was a time when in incidents uh, where the United States was involved with, uh, is you know, even in a, a, a combative situation, the people on the other side would view journalists as sort of non-combatants and want to use their, uh, their the journalists that even were from the West or whatever um, for their own purposes uh, in, a, in a propaganda kind of way, telling their story, justifying what their reactions were. And that gave journalists a bit of protection that, um, that, you know, that they went into those very dangerous situations armed with. It was certainly not foolproof and sometimes didn't work at all. But generally, journalists were considered to be sort of the honest brokers of what was going on and a, an opportunity for the other side to get at least a version of its own story out. And that's why journalists, I think, were generally not targeted. They were not necessarily um, singled out for protection exactly, but they weren't gone after uh, and they were viewed as something that could be used. Uh, That began to change, I don't know, 10, 20 years ago um, when, when journalists were viewed uh, increasingly as targets um, and targets for, you know, f- for for killing, uh, for punishing uh, news organizations, for publishing things. You know, in, in Mexico, for instance, journalists are, you know, in terror and fear of their lives all the time if, they, if they're reporting about the cartels. But again, that was, there was a certain amount of, of, of threat to the news media uh, that was that was realized through targeting journalists, killing journalists sometimes, and so forth, threatening them certainly. Mm-hmm. ISIS is something else, in my opinion. ISIS, for reasons that it has apparently decided uh, uh, are its best interests, um, used the murder, and I use that word, the murder of these two journalists in the most barbarically kind of uh, brutal way um, as a propaganda vehicle. Uh, they chose journalists because journalists were, you know, non-combatants. They were representatives of the West. They were not soldiers. They were not there to fight. Mm-hmm. And they were saying basically, one, it doesn't matter. We're going to kill you all if we can. Mm-hmm. And two, we're going to do it in a way that is uh, so our you know, it's so calculated to shock that it will effectively 
put the world on notice that we are here, we're coming, and we're you better fear us because we're capable of this, and uh, this is the way we're going to deal with you. I think that they perceived it, and probably rightly, as a recruiting tool, a vehicle that, you know, if you do it, it's one thing. Then you put it up on YouTube, and it circulates all over the world. You've done it for a purpose. You've done it because you want people to be horrified and scared. And I guess you also want to inspire a group of people who are inspired by something like that. And they've apparently made some success of that. In my personal opinion, that is a going to prove to a very, very bad strategic long-term judgment on their part because what it has done is exactly what they hoped it would do in one sense. It scared the crap out of people, but it's also basically quickened resistance because the perception is if we don't fight these guys, if we don't defeat them and destroy them, they're going to kill us all because that's what they want to do. And they've demonstrated it uh, you know, now several times. I don't know whether you are aware that <clears throat> there's a report this morning of the Australians, uh, the Australian police um, basically breaking up um, what they thought was a conspiracy in Australia of ISIS people there, related to ISIS anyway, who were just going to take random Australians off the streets and behead them and put them on 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 the air. I yeah. mean, the idea is uh, hard for me to understand as a propaganda tool because it's it makes people so terrified that they have succeeded in marshalling a, a nation that was sick of war and did not want to go back into the Middle East in a combative situation uh, into being more or less going back and not necessarily with boots on the ground, but certainly with a very aggressive uh, bombing and other kinds of, uh, of efforts to create a, a new uh, uh, a new set of, of relationships with Middle East countries that are also frightened of ISIS and view ISIS as a menace to them. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, my point is that journalists are being used in in an odd, odd way like they were before they were targeted. These weren't targeted things. This was not sort of killing a journalist because he's there covering the story. This was using the journalist to send a message. And I think that that was what they were trying to do when they basically before protected journalists, but tried to get their message across through journalists. Mm -hmm. ISIS has decided this is a much more effective way of using journalists and civilians generally. Just killing people and blowing them up is not enough. Beheading them and putting it on television that sends a message, and the message has been sent. And I think that ISIS ultimately is going to reap the whirlwind for it. What strikes me is <clears throat> um, ISIS has engaged with journalists in, in the traditional way, too. I mean, uh, Vice News had a documentary crew run alongside the ISIS fighters as they went into Iraq. Um, so ISIS isn't completely, uh, you know, avoiding that traditional role. Quite frankly, I was not aware that Vice very recklessly and stupidly, in my opinion, would put one of their crews with ISIS. Anybody that puts a journalist with ISIS uh, or any journalist that wants to be proximate to ISIS has got to be nuts as far as I'm concerned. But what can I say? I, I think that there are still, and I'm glad there are journalists who are willing to you know, risk their lives, but I think you don't get next to ISIS as a journalist unless you're really reckless beyond imagination that doesn't mean you don't cover them that means doesn't mean you don't observe them but you know you you're 
it's like being you know covering a drug cartel and uh, and thinking that you're safe. Right. It doesn't work that way. And I think that the 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 journalists, uh, I'm sure, who are over in the Middle East <clears throat> are very mindful of the danger that ISIS represents. ISIS in a sort of singular way. I don't think there's any other group over there that is perceived by journalists to be quite as cold-bloodedly, uh, you know, menacing to journalists mm-hmm. or anybody else for that matter, because they do it for their own purposes, their propaganda purposes. They don't have anything against the journalists per se. Right. They are simply using them for their own purposes. But their purpose has been, I think, uh, you know, maybe unintended consequences to rouse the West in a way that uh, it hasn't been aroused in a long time. Mm-hmm. Do you think that the U.S. Uh, should have acted to, you know, pay the ransoms that were being uh, asked for? To I don't think this was it? about that either. I don't think this was about ransoms. I mm-hmm. think this was about bombing ISIS, and I think that ISIS, um, you know, you know, I don't. I think that uh, it had nothing to do with paying the ransom. Maybe it did. I don't know. I mean, I'm not. But my mm-hmm. sense of what their purpose was was not to get people to pay ransoms. It was to freak people out because Mm -hmm. they wanted I I mean they've obviously taken great sort of pride and pleasure in shocking the world with their ruthlessness Mm -hmm. and that's the message they want to send well they sent it right well that was certainly true in 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 Syria but as I mentioned before uh, you know Ferguson protests saw an example where uh, right here in the United States journalists were um, you know you had TV crews having uh, tear gas shot at them uh, some were arrested on camera and uh, very very uh, well, you know, popularly seen well I think that what happened to journalists was just a rel- relatively benign symptom of the much more pernicious uh, malady that's afoot in Ferguson, which is a a police department that's out of control. Mm -hmm. The people who really have been the victims of that have been the people of Ferguson. And journalists were coming in, and they were basically treated like the way they treat most of the population of Ferguson, as far Mm -hmm. as I can tell. They didn't like the idea that they were being exposed for this. Uh, I think they recognized just how bad it looks when you are, you know, doing the kinds of things they were doing. But at the same time, there is a kind of, my guess, a kind of moral justification in their own mind, a rationalization that they're, you know, they're the law and what they say goes. The pictures that really were horrific to me were not the ones of the journalists being arrested or whatever. Was it was these peaceful demonstrators, some you know kids holding up signs saying "Don't shoot" and mm-hmm. things like that, and this paramilitary group of people in camis and in high powerful rifles and masks and helmets and all of that, looking like they were going up against ISIS, uh, pointing the guns at these people, shooting tear gas at them, and treating them like they were enemies in their own community. I mean, it was right. it was crazy. It reminded me, I'm sorry to say, it reminded me of those pictures from Birmingham in the 1960s that galvanized the United States mm-hmm. into doing something finally about civil rights. Those pictures were hugely powerful. And those right. pictures in Ferguson were hugely powerful, mostly because of what they said about this militarized police and this 
you know, the, the behavior of this police force toward its own people, its mm-hmm. own citizens. It was crazy. Well, given that, I mean, that seems to be an extremely powerful, like you said, powerful image is a powerful story. Um, what What's your take on, on journalists kind of steering part of that story away and centering it on themselves? Well, I think that journalists are very preoccupied with themselves and their own safety, of course. I, I mean, I know that that's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's pretty understandable. And I think that may, in fact, have been, you know, something that galvanized some journalistic coverage. But mm-hmm. the story of Ferguson was so inherently, you know, devastating. I mean, a police force with a tiny group of of minority members in a heavily minority community, the kinds of things that were seen and and testified to on television, not to mention the very sing you know the the incident that sparked the whole thing. Mm-hmm. But it was not really the the you know the 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 death of that young boy to me that galvanized the country. It was the reaction to the people in Ferguson who were protesting it right. by this paramilitary uh, militarized uh, police force. I think that the media, the great thing that the media did in the Ferguson case, and there was, you know, there's all kinds of stuff the media always does wrong. But I think that this particular situation, the great service the media gave the country was that it put militarized police departments on the map as a policy issue. It's mm-hmm. something that had really not really come to the fore and been defined explicitly. And I think that this has happened all over the country. These police departments are decked out like paramilitary. They've got heavily, you know, heavy-duty weapons and things like that, but they don't have the training. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, for instance, the military, in military, if they were trained as soldiers, they would know, you don't point guns at people unless you're going to pull the trigger. You don't right. do it. They don't do it in Iraq. You don't point unless you intend to pull. Right. In Ferguson, they were all these guys are pointing, you know, there's these rifles at children and mm-hmm. and on a, and certainly, you know, people that were their citizens and were unarmed. It was it was frightening because it was America. Mm-hmm. And that I think was a service that the that the journalists, the media of all kinds, the the media and on cell phones that were posted, the media in traditional sense, I think those pictures and and the things that they said about something that was going very wrong in this mm-hmm. community outside St. Louis, uh, that's been a powerful gift, I think, mm-hmm. that the media has given the United States, and I hope we have a good the sense to do something with it. Well, with that, Professor Alex Jones, thank you so much for being on Policy Cast. Thank you. You've been listening to the Harvard Kennedy School Policy Cast, produced by Matt Cadwallader and Molly Lanzarota. Follow us on Twitter at PolicyCast. Thank you.